Don't get lost in your barn. Guilt says I owe you. Anger says you owe me. Greed says I owe me. When greed invades a person's heart and lodges in there and takes up residence, that person believes that every good thing that comes his way, he has earned. And as a result of that, he becomes determined to control his possessions, to control his wealth in any way that he sees fit. And why is that? Because greedy people have a supersized sense of ownership. But here's a hidden truth. And greedy people just don't get this. Greed is fueled by fear. And once you get rid of all the excuses and the endless but what if scenarios, you will discover a heart that's full of fear. What does this person fear? Well, the person with greed lodged in his heart fears that God either can't or won't take care of him. And if God won't, who will? So what happens? Greedy people set out to acquire, to maintain, and to keep everything they need in order to provide the sense of security that they truly desire. But what do we know about all human appetites? All human appetites can never be fully and finally satisfied. And the same goes for the appetite of financial security. And why is that? Because there's never enough. So what happens? The acquisition, the hoarding, the self-indulgence continues and goes on and on. But wait a minute, you might say, aren't there verses, more than one I might ask, that in Proverbs tell us or encourage us to, pre to prepare for things that may come up in our life? And is there anything particularly wrong with acquiring things? And the answer, of course, is no. There's nothing wrong with acquiring things. And yes, there are verses in the Bible telling us to, uh, to prepare for the eventualities of life. And there's nothing wrong with, with, with that. There's nothing wrong with acquiring things. And because of that, there's a, a definite challenge in identifying this particular invader of the heart because greed is able to camouflage itself as a virtue and that's why we can't identify it. It creates a major problem. Now greedy people are often savers and isn't saving a smart thing to do? Greedy people don't want their children to feel the financial burden of caring for them when they're older. And there's nothing wrong with that either, is there? Back in 1986, there was a movie out called Wall Street. And the lead was played by the lead character, Gordon Gecko, played by Michael Douglas. And 
he treated, he said something about greed, and I'm going to quote it here. He said, greed, for lack of a better word, is good. Greed is right. Greed works. Greed clarifies, cuts through, and captures the essence of the evolutionary spirit. So, hey, is it possible that Gordon Gecko was right all along? Maybe greed is good. But then again, Gordon Gecko wasn't the first one to editorialize on the topic of greed. I think Jesus had something to say on it. And in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, he says, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. And this is in the, um, I'm reading from the New International Version, the NIV. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Now, why do you think that Jesus began his discourse on greed in this section of scripture with the warning. Well, the reason is that way back then he knew what we were just we are just beginning to discover now. And that is that greed can take up residence in the heart and live there undetected for years. You see the heart that's unguarded is highly susceptible to the debilitating disease we know as greed. And again, it's, it's, greed is an invader that is able to camouflage itself as a virtue. And because of that, it's difficult, very difficult to diagnose. And it's especially difficult to self-diagnose. You'll come up with every justification imaginable to show that what you're doing is honorable and right and virtuous. Jesus goes on, and this, the, the entire um, section of Scripture is Luke 12, 15 to 21. Jesus goes on to uncover that uh, the, a lie that fuels all greed. He says, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of of his possessions. You might say, but doesn't everybody know that? And the answer is no, not everybody knows that. You might also ask, does anybody really believe that their life is equivalent to what they own? Does anybody really believe that? And the answer to that one is yes. There are people who believe that your life is pretty much the sum total of what you own. Many Christians today identify, they have an identification crisis because they try to identify them. Their, their identity is based on what they do, not who they are. Their identity is based on the career choices they made, not on who they actually are. And many of us today are more prone to this belief than we might imagine. Okay, so from, from here, Jesus goes into this uh, parable about a wealthy landowner whose property yielded a much larger crop than he expected or actually needed. So 
because of his good fortune, he was left with a problem. He had no place to store this big, bountiful harvest. So what does he do? He calls a meeting with himself and he says, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. In other words, what he was saying is, what am I going to do with all my stuff? What am I going to do with all my stuff that I have as a result of all my hard work? And that's important. Keep that in mind. We'll talk about it later. He has this in his mind because uh, it's a result of his hard work. So the landowner has no place to store or save his crops. So what does he need? He needs a place to hoard his reserves. Now, back in the time of Jesus, uh, you know, this was an agricultural society. So it would have, (coughs) excuse me, it would have been immediately clear to anybody hearing this that the abundance of this man's harvest had little to do with his hard work. Farmers are always at the mercy of factors over which they have no control. But you see, the greedy man or woman doesn't see the world that way. They see it, as we stated before, that what comes their way does so because they have earned it. And since this landowner believes he's earned his, this abundance, he never even considers, considers that God might have had anything to do with it. And even if he had credited this, uh, this bounty, this wonderful abundance, this wonderful abundance of crops uh, as God's blessing, it, would, it, it never crosses his mind that the extra has, he has been blessed with is intended for anyone's consumption except his own. Clearly, it was God who provided this guy, this landowner, with the extra. And the question that he should be asking is, Lord, what do you want me to do with the extra? And we should be asking the same thing. When something extra comes our way, we should be asking the Lord, what do do you want me to do with this? What do you want me to do with this extra? And you see, greedy people don't think that way. And quite honestly, even if we're not greedy people, we probably don't think that way all the uh, either. We probably don't think that way either. I mean, we may do it some of the time, but we definitely don't do it all the time. I'm pretty, I feel pretty confident in making that statement. You see, because when we come into a little extra, we think, lucky me. And just like the landowner in this parable, uh, we can, we will always come up with a plan for the extra. And we will always assume it's meant for us. After all, we earned it, right? And if we earned it, therefore, we deserve it. So what do we do with it? We store it. And that's what exactly what this landowner decides to do. So what does he say? This is what I'll do. This is his now his solution. 
I will tear, tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Bigger barns. What a great idea. That will solve everything. He'll be set for life. What is this landowner suffering from? That would be BBS, Bigger Barn Syndrome. And this syndrome, BBS, is very common to those whose hearts have been invaded by greed. And if you think about it for a moment, there are people today who are making a lot of money based on, uh, they're making a lot of money off of people with BBS. Now, if you didn't get it right away, let me tell you about it. Storage units. So, especially in the South, especially in, in Florida, there's no basements. So there's no store. Uh, your, your, your storage is limited. And as a result of that, people, and especially if they're coming from someplace where they had a lot of storage, so now you have to consolidate, right? You have to downsize. That's the word, downsize. But what do they do? They downsize their dwelling, and that dwelling has less storage space, but they don't want to get rid of their stuff. So what do they do? They go to the BBS shelter, the place where I can now store my stuff. And the thing about it is that I mean, there's so many, there's hundreds of these places in, 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 I mean, each state probably has hundreds of them. So, I mean, there's, there's probably even more than that. I mean, I don't even know why I'm saying hundreds. There's probably a, I mean, forget about it. It doesn't matter. There's so many of these mini uh, storage units out there and it's full of stuff that people can't fit in their homes. And a lot of it's junk, but it's junk that they could have could have sold when it was worth something. Something uh, junk that may have been able to be turned into cash, which in turn could have been put to good use on behalf of someone else who didn't have enough. But no, these people decided to rent the bigger barn. And you know why they decided to rent the bigger barn? Because someday, one day, they just might need that stuff. So just in case they someday perhaps might possibly need it, they've decided to store it, to hoard it. And you know the, the, the ironic part of this? The ironic part of this is that you actually wind up paying for that. So you have stuff you don't need. 
You put it in a storage place in case you might need it down the road, and you actually pay to store your junk. So it's kind of like, wow. Kind of like, wow. Um, so in this case, after declaring his intention to build bigger barns, um, the landowner offers an explanation as to why he has chosen to pursue this course of action. Keep in mind, greed is always looking for something good to hide behind. Greed disguises itself as virtue. So, this man decided to build bigger barns to secure his future. Now he'll have all his needs met for many years to come. Is there anything wrong with that? No. Thanks to disciplined planning and opportunistic saving, his kids won't have to take care of him in his old age. Now, if Jesus left it here and the parable ended here, we might even consider this guy a, a, a hero, a major role model. But guess what? The story doesn't end here. The parable doesn't end here. And nobody's story ends there. And while there's truth to the fact that the landowner planned ahead, he didn't plan for enough ahead. He was right. He did need to continue consider his future, but it wasn't in the way that he thought. He was presuming on years he didn't have coming to him. And just as he overlooked the God factor when evaluating his good fortune with this bountiful harvest, he has also overlooked the God factor when counting how many years he had left. You see, he assumed that his abundance of stuff assured him an abundance of time. But... As we should know, the two don't have anything to do with each other. And the very day the landowner made the decision to keep everything he had earned, he lost it. Just after he comes up with the plan and... probably maybe even acquired um, the, the um, stuff to build the bigger barn, um, he received some shocking news. He's going to die sometime in the night. So most likely he did not acquire anything at this point, but in his mind he was set. And in his mind, he had to plan or worked out. He probably maybe put it down um, uh, on paper somehow. And the problem was that 
he got the message, the shocking message, that he's going to die sometime in the night. And he's going to learn the hard way very soon that his life is not equivalent to the amount of his possessions. Here's the key. He will run out of time before he runs out of stuff. And while he wasn't aware of it, the landowner is more dependent on God than he realized. For he's he's entirely reliant on God for his allotment of time. And it's a shame that he didn't see that he was equally dependent on God for his allotment of stuff. So here's a loaded question that God delivers to this landowner, this bad news message. God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? See, someone else is going to get his stuff. And someone else will end up with everything he has earned and consequently deserved and therefore stored up. Someone else will end up with the very stuff he has hoarded for himself instead of depending on God's provision. In the end, all of his possessions will be distributed to others. And it won't be because of his generosity. It will be because he's dead. Another point of irony in this parable. So what are we directed to here? Our attention is directed to an obvious but overlooked reality. Eventually, everything we claim to own will be owned by someone else. In the end, it's going to be given away. So to assume that everything that comes our way is for our own consumption is very short-sighted and just downright foolish. And it's not a matter of if someone else will get it. It's a matter of when and how they're going to get it. And the choice we have to make is that either we will give it away while we still have time or it will be taken away when our time runs out. You see, in that verse 21, it says, uh, let's go to 20 again. It says, But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be who thou hast provided? And in verse 21, So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. He closes, Jesus closes uh, the parable with a stern warning. This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. We just read that verse 21. 
You see, this is Jesus' definition of a greedy person. A person who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. And what are we talking about? What is Jesus talking about being rich towards God? It's Jesus saying that, it's Jesus saying, be generous towards those in need. A greedy person is the man or person who saves carefully, but gives sparingly. So what is Jesus trying to get across here? What's the warning? What he's saying is that what will happen to you and me if we're generous savers, but not generous givers? Death. I don't think so. You see, we know we're going to die. Unexpected death. It's probably not that either. Because you probably know some generous people who died unexpectedly. And on the other side of the coin, there's some very old greedy people. And I'm sure their greedy relatives uh, don't like that very much, that they just keep right on living. Just like the Energizer Bunny, they just keep on going. So here, here it is in a nutshell. Here's the real bottom line moral of this parable. Those whose eagerness to store up material goods outpaces their willingness to give will suffer a complete and total loss when their time runs out. You see, so it doesn't matter how much you have in your barn. The important thing is you don't want to get lost in your barn. And this landowner suffered total reversal of fortune at death. He lost everything in his life and had nothing to show for it in the next. He didn't just lose his life, he lost everything he considered life. You see, because he was rich in this world, but poor towards God. Because everything that came his way was used for his private consumption. And that's not how God wants us to live. He blesses us to bless others. That's the purpose of Old Ridge. And in the words of Jesus, this landowner was a fool. And, you know, quite truthfully, if we had known this guy, we probably would have envied him. He's a fool that many of us would probably want to emulate. But he's still a fool, no matter how many people want to emulate him. He was foolish enough to believe that an abundance of stuff meant an abundance of time. He was a fool to assume that his good fortune was a direct result of his hard work and he was a fool not to give to the less fortunate from his abundance, knowing that the day would come when everything would be taken from him, including any further opportunity to be generous. You see, that's what we lose. Once your time runs out, you can no longer be generous. 
and your stuff's going to someone else anyway. Your money or your life? Your money or your life? Have you ever heard that one? We know when confronted with a burger and they say your money or your life, when they make this demand of us, we know what to do. But but we don't know what to do when God makes this demand of us. So this parable does two important things for us. First of all, it defines greed from God's perspective. Secondly, it offers a simple remedy. And the problem with God's definition is that it's a bit broader than we are more, it's a bit broader than probably most of us are comfortable with. And the problem with his solution is that it is unavoidably practical. And the simplicity of it is, is that the solution is a habit. The solution is a habit. A habit has the power to free our greed-ridden hearts. So be a giver. Be a giver. Don't get lost in your barn. God bless. See you next time.